You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Hi, before we get started, I was wondering if you could join me in prayer for a um, special friend of Nicole and I's. Uh, a friend that we went to Bible college with, his 16-year-old daughter last weekend. Um, anybody 16 years old in, in this room, 15, 16? Got a handful of uh, quite a few in our youth group. Imagine that's your daughter. Last weekend, his daughter had a hemorrhage in the brain, and she's been in a coma all week long. And they're, they're dear friends of ours, and uh, we tell them our church will be lifting them up in prayer. So will you join me in, as, uh, as we pray for a miracle? God, thank you, Lord, that you are a God who does the miraculous. And, uh, Father, we trust in you right now. God, I know you can do something uh, out of nothing. And so, Father, we pray that you just be with Maddie. And, uh, Lord, give her strength, uh, comfort her, Lord. Uh, Lord, spend time with her, Lord, while she's in this state. and Give comfort to, to Jimmy and Christy, her mom and dad and her sisters. And, Lord, I pray that you, uh, Lord, would give her a miracle, Lord. That's what we pray. We agree with them, Lord. If it's in your will, Father, we are believing for this, God. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, that you've already spared her life. And, uh, Lord, we pray that you would just heal her. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there is a parable in the book of Matthew only that is uh, odd, strange, uh, rarely ever preached about, and it uses the word virgin in the parable. In fact, the parable is called the parable of the ten virgins, and uh, it's kind of comical. I was wondering if it's possible to find ten virgins nowadays. Um, Oh, you know, last time I said a joke like that, my wife said I shouldn't, so act like I never said that. A third of all of Jesus' preaching was done with parables, and uh, the number one topic of all of those parables was the parable of, or parables about the kingdom, and so today is our last installment. There's over 130 plus parables, and we only spent seven weeks talking about a handful of them, so today we're going to end on one that I think is uh, obscure yet very important. When he came, he came to establish a kingdom, and, uh, but what they expected was an earthly kingdom. What they got was an upside-down kingdom. And uh, the kingdom parables are his way of saying what it's like and who gets in. So let's jump right in to this week's parable. Matthew 25, verse 1, very simple. It says this, At that time, it's known as the parable of the ten virgins, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like Ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps and did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us. And you instead go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with them to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, The others also came and said, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he said, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. All right. 
Do you understand that parable? It's kind of somewhat tricky. I remember uh, reading it and uh, when I was a young person thinking, that is odd, it's strange, the lamps, the oil, the what, what's the deal, why, why are they called virgins, and why, what is this all about? Well, first of all, I want to explain to you the context in which this was written, and then we're going to unpack the parable, all right? So, first of all, I want you to know what a virgin is. A virgin is someone in the context of right here is an unmarried, pure bride, Okay? A, or a bridesmaid in this instance. So whenever you see the word virgin, I want you to put in your mind bridesmaid because that's what they're saying. There's a wedding going on here. The bridegroom, the groom is coming and these are the bridemaids. These are pure, unmarried, never been intimate with anyone. They're saving themselves for their groom, bridesmaids. So they're called virgins. But I want you to think this is the parable of the ten bridesmaids, all right? Now, the bridesmaids are us. We are the followers of Christ. The bridesmaids are, are the pure, untouched by the world, set apart to be different bridesmaids. And the bridegroom in this parable is Jesus, all right? So with that, I want you to tell you, I want to tell you a little bit about how they saw weddings for just a minute. There are three stages to a traditional old school wedding at the time of Christ. There were three steps to getting married. The first one was the engagement. We're familiar with the engagement, but for them, the engagement was an agreement between two fathers. A father would meet a father and they would say, how about your son marry my daughter? And they would shake on it or they would have a dinner together or they would make a formal agreement. That was the engagement. But it wasn't until the father of the groom ensured payment that he would actually and could afford a wife that it wasn't considered the next step, which is betrothal. Basically, the father would take a dowry, which is a price that the that the uh, bride's mother would set, and he would say, here's the dowry, here's the price, here is the dowry for your daughter. And the father of the bride would say, and here's my daughter. You are now not engaged. You are now betrothed. A payment has been made, and a formal contractual agreement has been purchased. Now, this is an interesting way to do marriage. While the engagement says we're getting married, the betrothal says we are not yet married, but it's as good as done. And then they would live their life until they were ready for their wedding day, the third step. So there was an engagement. Yes, we want to be married. Yes, we can do this. There is the betrothal, which is paid for with a dowry. And then there is the wedding day where there is a consummation of the wedding and they are officially husband and wife. Now, in the context of that, Jesus gave this parable. You see, Jesus is not just a king of the kingdom. He is a betrothed king who is going to be returning for his bride. His betrothed bride are the people who trust in him from every tribe and tongue and race and culture and nation in the world. It is the church. So his bride is the church, the bride of Christ. The betrothed king is coming back for his bride someday. All right. Now, he came 2,000 years ago 
for his bride and paid a dowry, his blood on the cross for us. At that moment, those who trust in that dowry are now betrothed. His resurrection proved it. And Jesus will come back a second time to marry her and take his church into his presence filled with love and joy forever. The return of Jesus. Now, for those of you that are Christians, some of you are not. For those of you that are Christians, and those of you that are not, by the way, um, the return of Christ is possibly the greatest day in the history of the world for us. It's the day when our king returns. It's the day when the bridegroom comes back for his bride. It is an essential part of who we are as Christians, and it's something we look forward to. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It is real. So King Jesus came into the world to take a wife, not a harem. He does not seek his own pleasure, but he seeks the joy of the bride. Ephesians 5.25 says it like this. Some of you have heard this verse in the context of a marriage, but this verse is actually given in context of Jesus the bride, groom, and the church's bride. It says, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ, the church, gave himself up for her. That's the dowry. That's the price that was paid. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water, through the word. That's the waiting. That's Jesus is now at work in his bride through the spirit and the word, purifying us and beautifying his bride. That's us. And to present her, that's us, that's the bride of Christ, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's the return. The presentation, that's the return. So you've got the dowry, that's the death. You've got the betrothal, the waiting. That's the purifying through the worship of God and through the word and through his Holy Spirit. And then we have the return of the king, which is the presentation of the bride. He says, verse 32, this is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ in the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Now, this whole context of that story about the husband and wife is all about Jesus Christ and us. It's all about the betrothed king who's coming back. He, this is cool. Maybe you've blown it. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe you have fallen in areas of purity in your life. The beauty of becoming a bride is that through the blood of Jesus Christ, through that dowry, through the, through the washing of the word, through the Holy Spirit, you are made pure again. We are made spiritually virgins again and holy unto God again. I love that, that sin. Second Corinthians 11, 2 says that we are made virgins once again through Christ. Spiritual virgins. Now, John the Baptist saw this when he was asked if his popularity that was waning in light of the coming of Jesus was offensive to him, if he was jealous of Jesus. This is what he said. He did not dare to lay claim to the bride. This is what John the Baptist said, John 3. He says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but sent ahead of him. The bride, John the Baptist says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. He's the friend of the bridegroom and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. Because he got to see the groom come the first time for his bride. 
Now, Jesus himself often spoke of himself as a bridegroom. This is what it says in Matthew 9, 14. He says, then John's disciples came and asked Jesus, how is it that that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is still with them? The time will come when the bridegroom, talking about himself, will be taken from them, then they will fast. He says, I'm the bridegroom, and while I'm here, you don't need to mourn. Fasting is really a function of us saying with our hunger, God, we hunger for you. That's the point and one of the functions of fasting. And he says, as long as I'm here, they don't need to fast because there's no mourning. The bridegroom is here. Now, Jesus, by the cross, paid the price And now a betrothed king is returning someday for his bride. His return, that wedding, will result in a great wedding celebration, a wedding party. And Revelation describes that party like this. Revelation 19 describes that wedding day. It says, this is John writing, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for a Lord God Almighty reigns. He's talking about the return of Jesus. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come. See, there's the engagement, there's the betrothal, there's the wedding. He says, the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's the church. That's us. That's you and me who call ourselves true followers of Jesus, Christians. It says, verse 8, fine linen, bright and clean were given for them to wear. They all wore white. For fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Then he added, these are the true words of God. You see, everyone who trusts in Jesus is a part of the wedding party. But not every person will be at that table. Not every person will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Some will be outside banging on the doors, wishing they could come in. Now, in light of this, we're about to break down this parable. I urge you, be in the wedding party. Trust Christ. Acknowledge him as the king and ruler of your life. He is already king, but when you acknowledge him, you become a citizen of that great kingdom. And that betrothed king who is returning will put you on the wedding list. Be a part of the bride. The joys he give are far beyond anything this world has to offer or what you can imagine. So just before Jesus shared this parable, he gives in this long discourse in Matthew 24 that is one of the most controversial chapters in all of the Bible. Luke has a version of the conversation as well. And in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus tells his disciples that some event is going to happen that's going to change the world forever. And he says, the temple will be destroyed and everything that you've ever known will be turned upside down. And this whole system of animal sacrifices and Judaism and all that will be changed forever as the king becomes the Lord of all. Now, what's interesting here is they begin to say, well, Jesus, what's it going to look like? So then he unleashes this long chapter on what the end of the age will look like. There's two positions on that chapter. One of them is that it is it is only talking about the fall of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD, where the temple was destroyed and everything 
changed forever for them. And then some view it as the description of the return of Jesus. Personally, I think it's a little bit of both because what happened in 70 AD was 100% prophesied by Jesus in that chapter. And I think what we have also is a picture of what we can expect at the return of Christ. So regardless of how you view that chapter, we are to be ready and we are to be watchful. Jesus the King is coming back for his bride. And here's the question. Are you ready? And what are we supposed to be doing while we're waiting for the kingdom? So that's today's message, and I want to talk to you about the return of the king. So let's break down this parable piece by piece and see what we are to be doing while we're waiting. All right, verse 1 of Matthew 25, parable of a kingdom, a bridegroom, and ten bridesmaids. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, that's bridesmaids, those who consider themselves Christians, and took their lamps and went out to meet, that means to wait for, the bride. So the betrothed king is gone on a journey, and when he returns, there will be a wedding. And until then, here's the first thing that we are to be doing while we are waiting for the kingdom. I want you to write this down. While we wait, we are to shine. We are to shine. All ten had a mission. They were to simply light their lamps and shine, shine the way for the coming of of the king. Now, to illustrate that, I've got I've got uh, these two right here. These are pretty cool. We are to shine the way. Now, I'm going to be careful not to shine this in anybody's face. Um, but it's it's really bright, but I'm you know, whenever you have a flashlight, aren't you tempted just to put it in someone's face? There's something about, you know, I just want to see what their face looks like in the light. And then when you put it in your face, you're like, that really hurts. So if I shine it in your face, I'm sorry. There's a good chance that it might be coming your way. All right. So we've got this light that we are to shine until he comes. This is, this is basically what he says. Until I'm here, shine the way, light the way for others. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So we are basically to say, hey, world, follow me. Jesus is coming. Follow me. Here's the way. Let me show you the ways of Christ. Let me light up God's word. Follow me. We are to shine the light of God until he comes. That is our mission. That is our call. That is our purpose. Let the world see the hope and life and light of God in us and reflect the brightness of God. Here's some great verses on that. Isaiah 6, 1 says, Arise and shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Daniel 12, 3 says, those who are wise will shine like the righteousness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's awesome. Philippians 2, 15 says, shine among them like stars in the sky. That's our mission. Jesus said it this way, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see the good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. See, we are simply to shine. That is our mission. That is our role. That is our purpose while we wait for the king and while we wait for the kingdom. Now, here's the deal. Where does this power come from? Their lamp power came from oil, right? Now, the oil that lit up the lamps, all through scripture, the oil is always a picture of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So here's the deal. They are to light up the world. They are to light the way of the world. They are to shine forth the way of Christ, awaiting for the return through the power of the Holy Spirit, the oil of God that is inside of us. It was the source of their light is their power to shine. The oil identifies true followers of Christ. But check this out. Verse 25, it says, Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Anybody know anybody foolish? Who are they? Just go ahead and name them out right now. Oh, don't. you? I was just kidding. Don't really say, Kevin, I love you, brother. <laughs> you talking about that guy right there? <laughs> we love Kevin. Don't, don't say anybody's name. Yeah, we all know somebody foolish. It says, five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps and did not take any oil with them. Now, the wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. You see, five neglected the power they so desperately needed and they deeply needed. They only had lamps without oil. They, had, they were light bulbs without electricity. So while five of them were ready to shine, five of them were powerless. Five of them were running on very short, short oil. So write this down. This is something interesting. While we wait, churches will be filled with the powerless. This is an interesting thought as I was thinking about this week. There are churches meeting today without the power of the Holy Spirit. There are churches around the world. There are Christians in this room that are, well, I, I want to say Christians because the Holy Spirit is given at the point of salvation. It is, it is something that is the power of God reflected in us, through us, and, and the Holy Spirit identifies us with Christ. It is the Spirit by which we call God Abba, Father. It is the Spirit of adoption. It is the very Spirit that allows us to say, Jesus, you are King of my life. But there are those, in quotations, Christians in this room without the Holy Spirit, because perhaps they're not truly Christians, because the church is filled with the powerless. They consider themselves part of the wedding party. They come to church every week, but they lack the passion and the power necessary to fulfill the point of their position. They like their position, but they lack the power. And it's like, here's, you know, you get enough flashlights in the room and you put them all over the room and you put enough flashlights without power in the room and you can't even tell that there's flashlights that aren't working, can you? Because the glory of those around us seems to kind of override the darkness of those around us. And some of us, we're in a room full of light and we think we're part of the light. And what's interesting about this parable is that there were 10 virgins, 10 bridesmaids, 10 women who consider themselves part of the wedding party, but only five had the power and evidence of the Spirit of God working in them. See, churches, I believe, are filled with powerless preachers who preach self-help messages and shallow topics and have no depth of, of maturity. Churches are filled with powerless people who on the outside look good, but they lack the power of God in their life. They have empty worship. They consume themselves with applicational tidbits of nuggets. They're gold star attenders who are present all the time, but they're powerless. 
Is that you today? See, they believe he's coming, but they're not prepared. Note the foolish bridemaids had some oil. They were lit up for a while. They were relying upon past glories or past experiences that they've had. They were relying upon the oil of others. They were relying on previous experiences. They fit right in. They look just like everybody else. In fact, they're virgins. They lived a holy life. They're good people. They do all the right things. But the foolish is thinking that they only need the form of a lamp to be sufficient. Second Timothy, Paul describes to Tim, he says that there are those out there who have a form of godliness but deny the power. He says have nothing to, to do with such people. He says be careful of these people because they will look like you, but they will ultimately lead you astray. So Jesus goes on, he says in this parable, Matthew 25, verse 5, he says, the bridegroom was a long time coming. By the way, Jesus gave us a heads up, it will be delayed. He texted ahead and said, I'm running behind, right? He, he says in 2 Peter 3, 9 that he's doing it on purpose. Check it out. But he says, but they will come. Well, I will come. It's going to be a long time. He says, uh, the bridegroom was a long time coming and they all became drowsy. And fell asleep. Now, as I was reading this, I think they all ten became sleepy. Now, remember, five of them are wise, so apparently there's nothing wrong with sleeping. This is not about sleeping on the job. Sleeping is not foolish. It's a part of life. And I want you to write this down. Here's the third thing to realize about why we are waiting for the return of the kingdom. Live life. Live your life. What's unique about this passage is sleeping is part of the job. It's simply an ordinary part of the activities of life. We're not called to sell everything we have, huddle into some commune and go up to the mountain and gaze into the sky until he returns. And to live like we're homeless. No, we are to live life. For the wise bridemaid's life continued, but they also lived and lit the way as they waited. This is something we need to take to heart here today. Jesus, I believe, is coming back someday. It may or may not be in my lifetime. It may or may not be in my grandma. I remember she passed away years ago. Sweet, sweet lady. She's the first person who ever told me about Jesus. I remember praying to give my heart to Jesus on her living room floor after reading a tract she gave me. But my grandma used to tell me Jesus is going to come back in her lifetime. She was convinced of it. She went on, she passed away, and she met Jesus before he came to meet her. She was wrong about when Jesus was coming back. And I'm not going to stand here and say, he's coming back in my lifetime. I know what the signs are telling me. You know what? We don't know. You don't know. And as sure as he's coming back, I know for for sure one thing, we're all going to die. So either way, you're going to meet him. He's going to meet you. Either way, I'm ready. But here's the deal. We don't know when it's going to happen. So live life 
like it's going to happen tomorrow, but, but also live like, that, like it may never happen tomorrow. Live in such a way that you are prepared and ready, but live. This is what Matthew 24 said. Jesus said, blessed is the servant whom the master finds doing his work when he comes. I love that passage. Jesus says, you know what? I don't want you huddled into some little group and commune in some rocks out in Montana someplace. He says, I want you out there working, living, and then work some more sleep. Go to bed at night, wake up, sleep some more, shine the light, shine the light. Just keep shining it until I come. Be ready, be filled with the oil of the spirit and shine. I want to challenge you. Don't be obsessed over the newspapers. Don't be obsessed over end-time prophecy. Don't be obsessed over who the president is going to be next. It's fun to speculate and think, but listen, live life. Shine the light of God and be ready. Shine the way for the world to see Christ in you. Be his reflection. Shine and live your life. Says they fell asleep. It's the rhythm of life that we should follow as we wait for the return of the king. He goes on to say at midnight, <clears throat> that's an unexpected time. We don't know the day in which this happened. The, the cry rang out. He says, here's the bridegroom. That means he's here. A ring went out. The bridegroom is here. The groom has come. The king is back. Sounds like a song. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins, the bridemaids, woke up and trimmed their lamps to light the way for the king. But the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil because we're going out. Our lamps are dying. We're empty. By the way, it's foolish to think the power of God can simply be borrowed at the last minute. And it goes on to say, no, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us. And you instead go to those who sell and buy oil for, for yourselves. Now, on that day, I want you to write this down. On that day, you can't buy or borrow the faith of another. You can't buy or borrow the faith of another. The fact that the wise virgins won't give them oil is not meant to teach us selfishness. It's meant to teach us the responsibility or the impossibility of bother, of borrowing another's faith. Listen, young person, you won't make it to heaven based upon how much your mom and dad love Jesus. Adult, because your kids love Jesus don't mean you have faith to make it. Husband or wife, you can't piggyback on the faith of your spouse. There is no salvation by association. It just doesn't happen. We will all stand before God on our own. You will stand before him alone. And as much as I love my wife and kids, and I know my life, my wife loves Jesus, I will stand before Jesus without her. And then... I will be judged according to if I know Jesus, if I have submitted myself and bowed to the king. At that point, I will be welcomed into an eternal place of bliss 
as I celebrate the wedding party and I know my wife will be at the table and we're going to sit by each other. Verse 9 says, there won't be enough for both of us, but go buy your own oil. It basically means we can't have faith for you and for us. You have to go get your own. If you neglect him in this life, I can't give it to you when we all face the king. Verse 10 of the same chapter, verse 25, it goes on. It says, but while they were out on their way to buy the oil, it's funny how instant in time faith and desperation, the foolish bride maids who wasted their lives ran for the impossible, but it was too late. He says, they were out buying oil and the bridegroom arrived. The virgins, the bridesmaids who were ready, went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. The ones caught unprepared were denied entry. They returned, started banging on the door. It says later, the others came, Lord, Lord, come on, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I don't know you. These are terrifying words. I want you to write this down. On that day, those without the oil will be exposed. The oil is the identification of a follower of Christ. It's the power of God in us. It's the salvation plea. It's the blood of Jesus applied to our life. On that day, those without that oil will be exposed. The bridemaids represent people in church who lived holy lives, who have a shiny lamp, and others might have assumed they were people of faith, but in reality, all they had was an empty religion. Now, here's the deal. Almost every parable ends with a day of separation. This is our church. This is every church. And unfortunately, this is what some pulpits are filled with. Powerless preachers. And on that day, we will be exposed for who we are and what we are. If we're children of the light, or we just play a good game. And in every parable that Jesus gave, there was a, a day of separation. Every parable. We, in the last seven weeks, we saw every one of them ended with a separation between those who, were, who entered into the kingdom of heaven and those who entered into the judgment of hell. And as much as we don't like to talk about this, I was reading some books last night about this. And I was thinking, you know, if we just, if we just, you know, read the red letters and, you know, just then we would all just love each other better and we just like get along better. And, you know, if we just, you know, all this judgmental hell stuff and all that, man, that's just ugly talk. The world doesn't like that. Just let's just talk about the loving Jesus and just stick to the letters in red, right? Well, guess what? These are letters in red. Jesus talked about this eternal judgment more than anybody else in the Bible. Let's live the letters of red because it's a harsh reality of a separation between the kingdom of heaven and the judgment of hell. And the good news is you don't have to hear those words. In Matthew 24, verse 42 This is what Jesus says. He says, therefore, keep watch because you don't know 
on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at the time of the night in which the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not let his house get broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. And then he gives a very powerful warning to powerless pastors. Now, this is a warning for every leader that's in this room, Sunday school leader, life team leader, pastor, uh, future leader. This is a word for you, this next one. He says, who then is the faithful and wise servant? Okay, the spiritual leaders, he says. We know he's specifically talking about the spiritual leaders because whom the master has put in charge of the servants in the household to give them food at their proper time. You see, that's what I'm here to do. I'm to be a shepherd of other servants. Me and you, we're fellow servants. But God has placed some of us to be shepherds over fellow servants. And I'm to give you food in proper time. That means every week, every Monday at my Bible study and Tuesday night at the Zone, in your small groups, uh, in your Sunday school class, if you're in Kid Venture, uh, we are to get together and we are to give you food and we are to nourish you in its proper time. He says, that's what our calling is. He says, 46, it will be good for that servant, us leaders, whose master finds him doing so when he returns. This is my post. Until Jesus comes back, this is my post. This is what I've been called to do. This is what I will do. This is what you've been called to do, leaders. He says, truly, I tell you, He will put him in charge of all of his possessions. That means if you do good, he'll give you greater responsibility. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to say to himself, well, my pastor, uh, my master is going to be gone for a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants. That means he begins to abuse his flock begins to treat them poorly, badly, manipulate them, doesn't treat them or teach them or disciple them or shepherd them correctly. And he says, and begins to eat and drink with drunkards. Now, Jesus did that. So he's not talking about being a light to those that are lost. He's talking about someone who basically participates in the activity of darkness. There's a difference here. Jesus wants us to hang out with lost people. But what he doesn't want us to do is to participate in the lifestyle of lost people. So he says, there are pastors that have done that. And be honest with you, I've known a few that have done that. I know a few that do that, unfortunately. Verse 50 says, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour when he is not aware Here's an ugly verse. It's in red in your Bible. If you have a red letter edition, Jesus says, and he will cut him to pieces. What? That is the weirdest verse I think you'll ever hear Jesus say. Is that when Jesus comes back, when he sees a servant leader, not at his post and serving and leading the people, he will come back out. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There just might be some pastors in hell. That's what Jesus is saying. So this great separation is not a done deal based upon our authority or our position. The verses that follow after this parable of the ten bridesmaids our parable of the master 
and his servants. And the master basically goes on a long journey and gives his uh, servants some responsibilities. And he says, when I come back, I want to see what you've done with them. I want you to check it out. It's in Matthew 25. It's right. It's, it starts with verse 14. Read it on your own. Basically, after a long time, he returned to find that some of them, two of them, used their responsibilities wisely. And he blessed them and said, come on into the kingdom. It's a great place up here. But the one thinking that the master was cruel, hid his responsibility, hid what his mission and his call was. And the master's response to that selfish, hiding servant was this, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, that's letters in red. That's the nice Jesus telling us about a day of separation. He came to rescue us from that judgment. He came to rescue us and to bring us into the kingdom of life and light. Two eternal destinations await every one of us in this room. The eternal kingdom of heaven and the eternal judgment of hell. Hell is not a place where the devil torments sinners. Hell is a place where the devil is tormented alongside of sinners. And on that day... Those without the oil are exposed. So the bridesmaid's parable ends with them saying this. But Jesus said, but he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. This could be any one of us, pastors included. But you don't have to hear these words. So Jesus says, therefore, in light of this, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Keep watch means be spiritually awake. So write this down. This is the last thing, is that while we wait, seek Jesus and the Holy Spirit that he gives. Seek Jesus and the Holy Spirit that he gives. Be alive and alert to Christ and the Holy Spirit that he's empowered us with. Use all the means God has given to know him and to trust him and to be filled with that oil of faith and joy. Some of you might be empty lamps today. I don't know. You look really good today. Man, we had a great worship set with the band. It was beautiful. It was powerful. But only some of us were truly shining. Only some of us were truly reflecting that glory of God in us through the power of the Holy Spirit that is inside of us. He is returning. And while we wait, we are to shine and we are to seek his face We are to stay alert. We are to grow in him. We are to call out to God, call out for his power to live this life with grace and with mercy and with power. This is what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.17. I went in with this thought. He says, therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position." But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. He says, grow. Now, I talk, uh, we have our Living the Way course that we do on Monday nights. And when this group is over, we're going to start again in the summer, be a part of it. One of the things I say in that group is that unfortunately there are people that, that are six months old their whole life. They give their life to Jesus. And they're like on fire. And they're like, yeah, man, Jesus. And then you know what? 
Six months passes, and they're like, man, they stop reading their Bible. They stop praying. Church is like, eh, if I fit it into my schedule. God's like an afterthought whenever they're in trouble, maybe when they, when they bless a meal or when they need a miracle or something. But they pretty much have, have lost the oil. They, they, they're powerless. And we wonder, God, where are you when I really need you? And God says, I never left. I'm right here. Call upon me. Seek my face. Cry out for the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And watch me light up your life. And in the darkest place of your need, in the darkest place in your family, in your home, and at work, in the darkest place of your life, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I will shine in you. Seek me. Know me. Grow in your knowledge of me. Jesus the King came to betroth the people to himself with the price of his blood on the cross. And he will return for that bride to Mary, and we will live forever. He will come to all who believe in him. This story is stamped in the heart of every person. It's echoed through the pages of every fairy tale ever written. It's the subcontext of every superhero story. Only this one is for real. This parable reminds us that his delay will be long. His return will be sudden. His judgment will be irreversible. And our hearts will be exposed. And our sentence, our sentence may be surprising. Are you ready? Until then, let's shine. Father, thank you so much that when you came for us to pay that dowry, when you came to pay that price for us, that we might be in relationship with you, you didn't leave us abandoned until your return. God, you gave us a precious gift of the Holy Spirit. And that precious gift is the lifeblood of every Christian. It is the power of God to live a a Christ-like life. It is the power of God that allows us to mature and to grow and to become more like you. God, we need your spirit. We need your power. We need your presence. God, we need you. God, it's through your power that we can be people of the kingdom people of love, people of grace, people of mercy, people of hope. It is, God, through your spirit that we are people of peace, people of justice, proclaiming the good news of Jesus the King and lighting the way. Father, fill us with your oil, I pray, God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I'm going to have Sean come down. Is he in here? Okay, I'm going to come right back after you uh, you take the offering, okay? I'm just going to stand right here. Before I take the offering, I do want to remind you guys that we have Discover Living Way today. today. Um, you guys, if you have not been to that, you got to go. It's amazing. It's a way to find out what we do. And like Ted said, a uh, way to belong, to start being a part of what we do. So um, get a chance to go to that. Um, right now, we're going to take the offering. Um, just a chance to be obedient and further the work of the kingdom. So let's pray over it. And uh, ushers, if you want to start taking the offering. God, we just lift up the offering right now that you do what you will with it, that you take it, you you multiply it, you bless it, and that your kingdom is spread because of it. Thank you for all you do in our lives. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here now.
in just a moment, we're going to continue with the time of worship as the offering is, uh, as that form of worship is taking place. I want to encourage you to do something today. Number one, on this great divide, and you don't know where you stand, during this time, you can do something. You can, you can call out to God. You can ask God to forgive you of your sins. You can acknowledge him as king. Acknowledge that you were wrong and that God is right. And that you are a person of great need and sin. And that Jesus is the forgiver of sin. If you will turn from yourself and turn to him, he will receive you and call you his child. So as we worship in your heart with your own words, if that is something that you would like to do to cross over from the kingdom of judgment to the kingdom of life, then this is your chance. Number two, if you're here today and you need the power of God in your life, then I want you with all of your heart to enter into a time of worship with the band. Reach out to, to Jesus. Surrender unto him and just with your voice cry out for the power of God in your life. And you know what? If you're a child of God, he will infuse you. He will stir up the gift of God which has been given to Father, in Jesus' name, let's all stand. God, in Jesus' name, we surrender to you, Father. God, there are some here that need to surrender their life to you. God, they are in the face of the return, and they are not ready. Lord, let today be the day they become ready servants of the Master. God, God, we need your power. We need your oil. We need your fire. We need your light. So God, stir in us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.